You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak gearing up for Week 8, a road trip to Indianapolis, the final AFC opponent for the Saints this season. And then it's all NFC after that, baby. But 3-4 and four versus 3-4, and four, two-game losing streaks. So much parody there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, and, and uh, we talked to Mickey Loomis on uh, WWL this week, and he was asked whether, you know, the trade deadline has been heating up if you've been getting calls. Yes, and yes. one of the things he pointed to is, like, one of the reasons you don't see a ton of trades in the NFL is everyone feels like they're still in it right now. <laughs> the Colts feel like they're still in it. The Saints feel like they're still in it. Even these 2-5 and five teams, they feel like one in, with one win this week, they're right back in it. 3-5, and five, you're right in position for the second half of the season. You win a good number of games, and you make a run at the playoffs. Teams aren't quitting from there, and you rarely will see deals get done between two buyers, right? You need a buyer and a seller, and there's probably, what, two or three teams in the NFL right now that would consider themselves sellers, like the Panthers, the Cardinals, like maybe a few others, if they lose this week and they're at two and six. But either way, you know, it, it's something that the, the Saints and Colts definitely feel like they're both very much in contention in divisions that are not running away from anybody, right? So we'll look at that. We're going to talk to Lawrence Owen. He's the host of the Believe in Colts podcast. He also has a show on YouTube called Colts Law that's going to 
break down a lot of, you know, if you want to kind of get in depth on what the Colts have been doing, what they've looked like with Gardner Minshew, that sort of thing. Check that out. We'll have him in the second segment. Then in the final segment, I wanted to get into some of the notes that came up that I found from the defense uh, in that loss of the Jaguars. Some concerning things that I think they have to fix this week in particular when they go up and face the Colts. And then we're going to talk about X factors as we do. But in this first segment, I want to talk pretty much exclusively about Derek Carr. And the first question (laughs) I have to ask, and it's just because it's been brought up to me and I didn't even know this was a thing. And then I went down the rabbit hole last night. Uh It's actually really funny. Um, And he seems to be a good sport about it. So I don't think he's going to get mad at me. He might. I don't know. Uh, His brother might. He did get paid for it. So if you're going to take money, then it's fair game. And the question is, does Derek Carr wear eyeliner? And if you Google this, there is quite a rabbit hole to go down. This is not right. the first. Like I was like, oh, this is something that maybe was said in jest at one point. No, this is something that Derek himself has said has been asked about him throughout his entire life, um, which is kind of fascinating. Uh, and when you look back and you see some of the, it kind of does look like he's wearing eyeliner. But did, did you know about this? Are you, were you aware of this? Yeah, I've definitely right heard about the Derek Carr uh, eyeliner but I mean, I never really took anything seriously about it. I, I just figured he has, I guess, really defined eyelashes. Yeah, well, that's he actually got asked in the Dan Patrick show about it. Like <laughs> Dan Patrick asked him directly. And yeah, I think what's going on, I don't think Derek Carr wears eyeliner. And I think anyone who knows about makeup would tell you that he's not wearing eyeliner. That's pretty obvious. If he's wearing anything, it's mascara. Because yeah, during the game, getting ready for the game, right? You, if you, you see like the drips coming down <laughs> his face, but you know, because it's, it, I think that's that is what it is, right? He has very dark eyelashes, and they kind of give the, the natural outline that makes it look like he's wearing eyeliner. But Derek Carr himself has taken money for this joke, and uh, so here I, I want to play that for you. I'm going to play the audio here, uh, and we'll listen to it. EECU's gonna choose me to be their auto loan spokesperson. EECU is going to choose me. That's David Local. I know what a great rate is. It would be perfect to get a great car rate from Derek Carr. What if I break the internet? His hair. I just look into the camera like this. Derek's going to be crushed. They're choosing me. They're choosing me. What is he doing here? Are you wearing eyeliner? It's called guy liner. (laughs) Mm, Looks like eyeliner. See? Bravo to him for playing on that. I mean, what take the money for sure. Right. Until I saw that, I was like, would this be unfair to <laughs> to make a joke about this? But yeah, once no, you get paid by by a car insurance company to make a joke about yourself, it's I can make it. But yeah, so like he's not, you know, it's it is something like his own brother is making that joke in a right. car insurance ad. So it's definitely something that he's aware of. And you know, I, I don't think he wears eyeliner. I mean, I, I don't think he wears mascara. I think, again, he just has really dark eyelashes. And that's like one of the the lowest level conversation that needs to be had about Derek Carr right now. But I felt like we've been having so many really intense, angry conversations about Derek Carr. It was, it was time we talked about something that was a, was a bit more levity. But that's it. That's all I got. How do you feel about that? I, I mean, I thought it was great. I was like, I, I'm ready for the guy liner sponsor now for Derek Carr. Guy I guess you got to play better to get that, though. Oh, it's guy liner. Right. Anyway, so, you know, uh, we're, we're going to talk more about Derek Carr. And one thing that came up last week, and we talked about this in the post game, and we there's been talk about it all week. Dennis Allen's been asked. Eric McCoy's been asked. Derek Carr has been asked is, you know, what is the feasibility of using the hurry up a whole lot more often? 
than just in two minute scenarios or one desperation comeback scenarios. And one thing that Derek said is, you know, it is kind of something that he really feels comfortable in. And, and it would, he said it was his, it's his dream to just do that all the time, but he understands that that can't happen all the time. It's unrealistic. That said, you know, you can see, if you just look at the numbers. So the saints went into the hurry up about halfway through the third quarter, immediately after the pick six by Foye Oluwakan, right? So they were down 24 to nine. They needed two touchdowns and a two point conversion so they didn't have time to waste. So they went to the two-minute tempo offense right there. And they really never turned back. They basically went to it the rest of the game. And so that first drive, they started that. Derek was six for six, 45 yards. It was a seven-minute, 26-second drive. And they scored a touchdown. Taysom Hill pounded it in on fourth down. And, you know, anytime you can say six for six for 45 yards, you know, for, for an offense that has looked stuck in the mud so much of this season and has been inefficient, not only like they've moved the ball, but they've been inefficient in moving the ball. You're not seeing six for six drives. I, I think you kind of look at that and like, okay, you got to you gotta do stuff like that. Whether it right, is, How do we do that more? Exactly. Right. And whether it's all, all hurry up or it's like there's got to be more that you can pull out of that than just, okay, we went fast, so it worked. Right? Yeah. He got in a rhythm. He had one. The next drive didn't work. That was the Rashid Shahid drive. Or I'm sorry, that was the Chris Olave drive where he threw the ball out of bounds and yelled at Rashid. That was a three and out down at their own goal line. Lou Headley had a 62-yard punt, and then the Saints got the ball back. The next drive, it was a short... Oh, I'm sorry. That was the next drive they got stopped on fourth down, and the Saints took it over just past midfield. And that drive, three for three, 53 yards, touchdown to Michael Thomas, then Camara two-point conversion. So those two scoring drives... Derek Carr was nine for nine for 98 yards and a touchdown. And they scored another touchdown on another drive. Like it, love it, need more of it. <laughs> that second drive was in, in, in this, the, the time of that second drive is what becomes an issue in that was a 51 second drive. Right now you can say, well, that's bad for the defense, but the defense forced a punt after that. They got the Saints the ball back. I don't think they were necessarily as I think that drive down at the goal line there. I think they were trying to be more methodical. They tried to get back to their standard offense. And when you know it three and out, (laughs) that was the drive that Derek Carr got hit quote unquote in an area. And yeah, next drive. So they got the ball back down seven. Well, with about, I want to say three and a half minutes, something like that. Derek Carr, the final results of that drive five for 10, 50 yards, but there were those four straight incompletions at the end. So to get down to the six yard line, Derek Carr was five for six for 50 yards. And so even if you, even if you include those four final heaves, you're talking about 67% completion percentage. If you take those four out and you just say from the point they started the hurry up to the point they decided our only option from the six yard line is to chuck it into the end zone. He completed 80% of his passes for 159 yards and a touchdown. So I mean, like I get it. You, you're gonna, you're, you're, you can't. Don't want to tire out your offensive linemen. You don't want to. You can't constantly be doing hurry up, and 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 your offense. And, and Dennis Allen said this over time. Defenses will adjust, but like nothing has worked. That's basically the only thing that feels like it has been consistent and effective throughout the course of a game, other than deep shots and uh, you know checkdowns. So I don't I've- know. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear, like you're pointing out those stats and obviously what we saw 
this team needs to find a way to incorporate it more and and earlier just because yeah how comfortable Carr is with it and and he like you said talked about that how he wishes he could do it all the time realizes that's not feasible but still I I mean let's let's dial it up a little more though with this team yeah there are ways you can do similar things without constantly being in tempo offense like big play on first down hit it right have two plays called in the huddle. That's what Eric McCoy was talking about this week. It's like, you don't necessarily have to constantly be sending Derek up there and having him make the decision, but you can go up to the line knowing what the next play is going to be in the sequence. And if your first down play doesn't work, then, you know, dial it back. Like take the, you know, get in the right, make sure you get in the right play, take your time. But if that first play does work and you can just be go bang, bang, hit him again, you got to be ready to do that. And that's just the type of things that I think this offense is overcomplicating itself, trying to get everything perfect. When I, you know, I think there's a, this is a very good application of the term of the saying great is the enemy of good. Like perfect is the enemy of success. It's like, we don't need to be perfect to be successful, but we do need to be successful to be perfect. And I think that's where you're looking at it. And that's kind of goes into last week when I was talking about P Carmichael was saying, you know, we have to look at streamlining this offense. And while, you know, it might catch people as weird when the offense hasn't really been working and you're talking about making it less complicated, I think people take that the wrong way. They think complicated is good. Complicated is only good if you run it the right way. And uh, I thought Derek Carr's an- answer to this question about, you know, streamlining the offense in general uh, was was telling in that regard. And so here's that. Some others talk about kind of streamlining things a bit, maybe getting tearing down the offensive stack that people are comfortable with. Obviously, in the hurry up that's kind of happening naturally, we have a limited menu. Do you think that's part of the second half? You kind of just got into a rhythm of what's been working and what people are comfortable with? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of that is, you know, game plan plays, or uh, I should say training camp type plays, right? You know, you have your game plan plays and you, you have to have those because you have to, to be able to attack a defense a certain way, have answers for certain things and, and be ready for anything in a, in a football game. Uh, but I think it was just nice, to, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, for our guys, we were just running training camp, you know, kind of plays uh, in, in that mode that we were in. And, uh, there was a few game plan looks that we got to and things like that. So it was a nice mix. And so, uh, you know, I think doing that, you know, I've been a part of, you know, you know, 500 play game plans. And I've also been a part of, you know, 45 play game plans. And I've seen both do success and I've seen you come off the field and you're like, wow, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. You know, I've, I've, you've been on both sides. So this really takes a deep dive into the study of the team, your own personnel, what's best for your guys. And, you know, that's just a short answer for like a pretty big answer. By training camp plays, right? To me, that I think what he's saying there is plays that everyone has run a hundred times and is very comfortable with, as opposed to plays that you have installed this week specifically because this is how the Jaguars like to play. This is what they want to do in these certain coverages. So we're going to have plays that attack that. Now, if those are the plays that aren't working and you can just get back to your bread and butter and have success, do that. <laughs> I cannot say this loudly enough. Do that. Stop overthinking it. Use your playmakers and allow them to make plays. And I think that's what the Jeff Saints did well in that second half, regardless of how quickly they were running. It was a, it was clear that they got into a rhythm and were comfortable. And you have to find ways to manufacture that, whether it's going fast, whether it's just limiting your scheme and making sure that everything that you're running is going to work in terms of the execution. Got to do it. And so, you know, I'm hoping that 
when you say, okay, they're headed in the right direction, I'm hoping that that is a sign that they can figure that out and, and do that. Because if you can, if you can generate offense the way you did in the second half and not necessarily have to constantly be go, go, go to do it, then if everything's going to feel a lot easier and we can stop talking about how Derek Carr, I mean, Derek Carr might be the most criticized quarterback in the NFL right now. <laughs> For like, sure. You would, but to, I mean, like, and, and the funny thing is when you hear like the Jameis complaint has always <laughs> been, well, when Jameis screws up, everyone talks about it nonstop forever. But when it's a white quarterback, they're just like, well, you know, we did his best. Well, I don't think you can make that argument about Derek Carr right now because uh, he's getting it this week for sure. I mean, every it seems like every former quarterback in the in NFL history has come up. Yeah, any analyst, any former quarter, everybody's piling it on with Carr this this week. Yeah, JT O'Sullivan, Chase Daniel, Kurt Warner, Dan Orlovsky, everybody is going after him in terms of well, why didn't this happen? Why didn't this happen? Kurt Warner and Chase Daniel were. Well, a little more on the on the the whole team suck side of the equation, as opposed to this is completely on Derek Carr, which is kind of the approach it felt like JT O'Sullivan was taking. And yeah, Derek was asked about JT O'Sullivan's breakdown yeah. specifically, uh, and, and this is what he said: When you're a quarterback, do a 43 minute video and, and, and says some very unkind things about you. You know, is it, is that kind of, do you take that personally when another quarterback does that? I don't know who it was. I didn't see a video, um, but I've seen a lot of quarterbacks run a lot of similar plays, and I've been in a lot of systems where they're read differently. You're taught different things in the game plan. Hey, if this safety's going this way, we want to work this way or this. In. And so I, I will never be that guy to do that to somebody. So I'm sorry I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but no matter who it was, like I really don't care because um, they're, you know, they're not in my meeting room with my coaches with the communication with our players that, hey, we're going after this matchup, same mirrored play, we're going to do this. You know, there was actually, I did. someone sent me one where it was funny because there was actually a bust on the defense and everyone was mad at, you know, two of us for not doing a certain thing. I was like, man, we didn't know they were going to screw that up. <laughs> you know, you expect a certain thing and we did a certain thing, you know. Um, so that, that crap happens, but I'm sorry that I don't know exactly, who, you know, what it was. J.T. O'Sullivan, who was, a, who was a quarterback here for a while. Oh yeah, I, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't see it. Uh, he's more than welcome to come. You know, do it with me in our meeting room. You know, uh, you know, he can come kick it with us. And I don't have hard feelings towards anybody doing that because, you know, how media. You know, some media is. You know, they're trying to make it about them and, you know, certain things. And I don't know if people are trying to do that or not trying to do that. I just don't pay attention to any of it. I just try and be great. You know, communicator for you guys when I can on Wednesdays and after the game. I would find it hilarious. If JT was like, yeah, Derek, I'll be there next week. That would be so amazing. If he just like, yeah, can, we, can we film the session too, please? Yeah. How about we go through a breakdown? You know, like the John Gruden quarterback school. Yes. Kind of thing? How about right. we go and I'll ask you some questions about how certain reads should be handled. And uh, we'll do that because Derek Carr knows who JT O'Sullivan is. I don't buy that for a second that he's unaware because he even broke, he even like mentioned in his interview, he mentioned one of the plays that JT broke down specifically. Right. So it was one of those things like, no, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I do think that he's probably being truthful in the sense that he didn't sit down and watch a 43 minute video. But about he's how, aware of it. Right. Well, I think he probably was sent a clip. Sure. And it's the play he's talking about. But like, you know who that guy is. He's a former Saints backup. Like, it's not like he's a, you know, it's not not like he's he's oh, me no, sitting on oh, YouTube. No, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're talking. I'm not aware of that. JT who? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but, no, I mean, and 
and to to be fair, I'm not defending Derek Carr in any way here. He deserves criticism, and this, these breakdowns are more than fair. I've watched several of them, and I'm like, like I said, JT's was 43 minutes long. Like he went through a lot, but like I think if if your criticism of Derek Carr is that he's being given a pass for some of his struggles these first seven weeks, that's not the case. He's not getting a pass from anybody. Um, whether it's yell, he's he, you know him yelling at his teammates or. <laughs> whether it's missing reads or not sending the protection the right way or whatever, forcing the ball into tight coverage and it gets picked off, whatever you want to say, you know, I don't think he's getting a pass for any of it. So I'd like to see him take that and improve. How do you feel about some of the folks, you know, the outside chatter talking about how, uh, John Gruden needs to be brought in as a consultant for this. And we've, we've heard Dennis Allen say they don't want to bring anybody from the outside. And there's nobody that's going to help kind of thing. And to me, just because, too, with Gruden standing with the league isn't the greatest, I'm not so keen on it, honestly. They're not bringing in John Gruden. I don't know why everyone's obsessed with John Gruden. I guess because he has a good relationship with Derek Carr. Right. And if he was going to get hired anywhere, it would be here. Because, well, for example, I mean, it's not happening this year regardless. Dennis Allen has been very consistent in that. You can criticize Dennis Allen for a lot of things, but it's not for waffling on that front. Like he's not making coaching changes or making staff additions just to no, do it, no. just to placate people. Because if he was, Pete Carmichael would not be the play caller anymore. Because that would that is the most obvious way to placate fans. And he knows that. It's not like he's unaware of the criticism that's being levied at Pete Carmichael. He knows. That if he just said, hey, Ronald, you're the play caller now, Pete, be the game plan offensive coordinator, that a lot of people would say thank you. And you might and you would actually generate some positive fan sentiment just from that decision alone. He's not going to do that. That's not the type of coach he is to make that decision simply to get out of his own shadow of of criticism. Uh, And so, like, I actually think there's something to be said for that. It's you can say it's bullish, it's bullheadedness, whatever. But, you know. He doesn't believe that changing play callers would actually change anything. And I'm not sure it would either. It's, but my take is like sometimes you just got to do it to, to affect change. Um, but he's not doing that with, with John Gruden. Now, in the offseason, there was one scenario that I feel like maybe you bring in Gruden, but it would still be a bad one in that you fired Dennis Allen and you're stuck with Derek Carr for another year regardless. And you just have to find a coach that can work with him and maybe salvage it if it doesn't turn around this year. And in that case, maybe it makes sense, even on just a short-term basis, because you you really don't have any other options in terms of you got to pair Derek Carr with somebody. Um, But I still don't think that's going to happen either. And John Gruden is just that name that everyone knows. And it's like when there's a free agent and he hasn't been signed by anybody through 12 weeks. And then everyone's like, oh, go get that guy. Go get that guy. He's so good. Like, no, you just know his name. That doesn't mean he's good. That means he was good. <laughs> right, or so he'd be he'd still be employed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's every year. It's like, well, why don't they go get this guy? I'm like, you mean the guy that no one, the 31 other teams also said, mm, pass. Uh, <laughs> I just find that so funny. It, 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 yeah, it, to me, it just, it's been brought up a lot. You know, it's getting louder now from fans. And to me, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like, a solution that uh, that one Dennis Allen wants to do, or two, I think, would end up really helping the team either. Just because of previous experience with Carr doesn't mean it's going to translate here again. It would like just I be said, a I, did, I got more of a problem with his his issues with the league, and then what are other coaches and players going to think about a guy like 
you know, Gruden joining this staff, are people going to have problems with it? Yeah, and like if the idea is everyone's already pissed off at Derek Carr to begin with, then <laughs> I don't think having to sit through John Gruden would necessarily make anyone happier. Uh, and like I guarantee, like everyone with how quickly everyone's become disenchanted with Derek Carr, you think that how, how long do you think yeah. it would take before everyone was ready to run John Gruden out of town? Two plays, <laughs> right? <laughs> One loss. <laughs> One loss done. Uh, so I don't know. There's no winning, but hopefully the Saints turn things around. We're gonna we're, let's end this segment. We're gonna dive into more of what's going on with the Colts, what to expect from Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss, and company. Godner, Godner, Godner Minshew. <laughs> That's a good. Just say Uncle Rico like Bobby. Uncle Rico. You know, I I'm a fan of that. Uh, well, what can they expect out of him? Right. What what is Shane Steichen thinking go, kicking a 60-yard field goal in the first half of a 14 to 14 game? Anyway, there's all those things. So Lawrence Owen's going to break a lot of that down for us. This is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone for engaging. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. I really do appreciate it. Leave us a rating, leave us a review wherever you can and hit, hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can hit Steve up at, at Steve Geller WWL. Let us know what you think. Give us suggestions and the ideas for segments you'd like us to hit. We're constantly just running over the same things over and over again. So where to bet the, where to get your best eyeliner at? Let us know. Yeah, right. We're we're going we're at the bottom of the barrel when we're talking about, you know, you know, make uh, you know, Maybelline commercials here. And uh, so yeah, anything you have uh, we'll 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 take it. There's no bad ideas. But anyway, this is inside black and gold. We're getting ready for week eight. Stick around. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back on Inside Black and Gold. Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. As always, we're getting you ready for Saints 3-4 and four at Colts 3-4. and four. No one better to break that down with than Lawrence Owen, as promised, host of the Believe in Colts podcast and also has a show called Colts Law on YouTube. It's a play on the name, in case you're wondering. I don't think it's a legal podcast, but I think it still works. Uh, Lawrence, now, my, my first question we we have a nickname for Gardner Minshew. At least Bobby Abair has a nickname for Gardner Minshew. He calls him Uncle Rico. And I am curious, <laughs> as you've gone about covering Gardner, do you think he can, too, throw the ball over those mountains? No. No. <laughs> no. All right. Uh, just, just, all right. I mean, if you got, like, a love child between Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew, maybe. But not just straight Gardner Minshew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but in, in more serious things, obviously this is a season that started one way and is now going a very different way in terms of you got Anthony Richardson. They, they went big on him. You know, he's a guy who I really liked in the draft. I wasn't sure I liked in the top 10, but I did like him. Uh, and now you are having the Gardner Minshew experience, which it seems like he's kind of the new Ryan Fitzpatrick. Everywhere he goes, he will inevitably start. He is inevitable. So how has that gone the last few weeks? Um, and, and, you know, what what is the Colts offense kind of looking like now with the switch from Anthony to Gardner? It is an emotional roller coaster. I'm telling you what. All right. <laughs> when it comes to production, like yardage and scoring and, and it's up here. You know, it's like, wow, you know, this guy, he's accurate. He makes decent decisions. He, he puts guys in positions to make plays with the football. It's amazing. And then you look and you're like, oh, no, he just gave the ball away to the other team at their own 15-yard line. Oh, you know, what, 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 what are we doing here? We, we just got two sacks, strip sacks, in the end zone two weeks in a row, right? I mean, that's crazy. He's got yeah. eight turnovers in the past two weeks, that is not a recipe for success. Yikes. Yes, he can move the football. Yes, he can get the the ball down the field and score. But then you got that 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 low where you're like, oh, now we got to climb out of that. <laughs> we understand that totally. Uh, this year, having to deal with it, we've got the you know the Derek Carr experience going on, and a lot of folks making the joke, obviously, that we got sold a lemon. Uh, whatever you want to say, you know, trying to get oh, the yeah. resale value of a used car, you know, trying to trade it back. But uh, with the Colts offense, man, uh, the, the running game has been obviously a huge strength of the squad. And, man, I guess it's pretty safe to say Jonathan Taylor's back, huh? Maybe? I think maybe. He's had okay. one really good game. He had like yeah. 120 yards. I figured against Cleveland. Right. But, I mean, good Lord. Yeah. You, you, had, you had Zach Moss, right? who missed week one due to a broken arm, then comes back and, you know, through the first five weeks, he's like third in the NFL in rushing yards, right? right. And you're like, oh, we don't need Jonathan Taylor. We, you know, <laughs> let him hold out or whatever it is that's going on. And then he's back for two weeks for practice and bam, $14 million a year. It's like, well, Chris Ballard's seen enough. All right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, right now uh, the running game, uh, the, the, the running back room, is very very solid got a great one-two punch and we showed that uh against the browns you know number one defense in the league and between those two backs they both had 36 carries 18 apiece and they were productive against that defense yeah i mean you know it's weird how holdouts end when the offense looks like it hasn't missed the stuff without you it probably doesn't you know like like uh, Chris Jones with the Chiefs was sitting there for that opening game, watching his team lose to the lose to the Lions. Like, hmm, what do you guys think now? Jonathan was like watching Zach Moss ball out. Like, this isn't this isn't great for my standing. But you know, wh- one thing that's interesting in the Saints and the Colts. You know, I think anytime you bring in a new head coach, there's going to be questions. What are the what's the decision making going to be like? How are they going to react in certain situations? How analytically inclined are they going to be for the Saints? It's Every situation do be conservative. You are, it seems, especially in terms of kicking field goals and when to punt, when to go for it. In this last game, I saw Shane Steichen make the decision to attempt a 60-yard field goal in the first half of a 14-14 to football game. It got blocked. They ended up sacrificing three points in that exchange. They lost by, you can remember the number. How do you feel about that, first of all? And, you know, is that kind of indicative of this, of his philosophy of, you know, no risk it, no biscuit kind of thing? Or was that just kind of a, a one-off? 
Well, you see, the thing about Shane Steichen that I've noticed is he kind of plays a little 50-50 with analytics and gut, right? And I love that about a, a coach. You Analytics yeah. is great, but sometimes when you get into a game, you just got to yeah. know how the flow of the game is going, and you got to use your gut instincts on that. And at that point, the defense was playing very, very well. The points that they were giving up was because of turnovers and touchdowns and things of that nature, and he was just thinking, you know what? get points where you can at this point. And uh, there has been times this year where he would have went for it, you know, uh, in that position, or he would have went for, it, you know, near the goal line, you know, on fourth down, you know, things of that nature. So I'm right now, I'm at the point where I'm just going to trust. I, I like where he's going with right now in his decision-making process. There is a learning curve, obviously coming from, uh, as as Steve and I was talking about earlier, where, you know, when you have a first-time head coach coming in from a coordinator, there's a learning curve from coordinator to head coach. And it takes a couple years in order to start to get the feel of games to make those correct decisions. Is he going to be perfect every time? Absolutely not. But he's got to learn from those, those times that he is not on top of his game. Uh, looking at the Colts receiving core, I don't think, you know, and obviously no huge names on this roster, but some guys that uh, pretty, pretty reliable hands in the group. Uh, just curious your, your take on Pittman and Downs. Okay. So I see Michael Pittman Jr. And, and he's got a nickname. Uh, apparently Shane Steichen gave him the enforcer, right? Okay. He's, he's that big physical dude that's going to go out there and out muscle you for a catch or block you down the field uh, during a, a run play or a screen play or something of that nature. He's out there to set the tone for the offense, which is amazing when you have a tone setter on the perimeter, right? You're used to having tone setters on offensive line, maybe tied in or running back, but not out on the perimeter. And that, that really helps out a ton. Uh, very sure catch, something that I've seen Michael Pittman do uh, when it comes to, to games and catches is he wins 50-50 balls just consistently, right? You throw him the ball, even if the uh, defender has position on him, you know, right in front of him, Pittman will go up over you, reach down, grab the football, bring it in, right? Uh, really, really like what, what Pittman brings to the table. Each of these receivers on this team brings a different element. As you talk about with Josh Downs, the rookie, you know, he's that, that smaller, shifty kind of guy that can get out there and um, – make corners second guess themselves on where his cut is going to be, right? Is, is he cutting left? Is he cutting right? Is he going post? Is he going corner? What's he going to do? And um, I think that really helps him in being able to create space and get catches. And, and he, again, has pretty sure hands for a smaller receiver in the NFL. And that's the most important thing as a receiver. Make sure you have the football. Whatever happens after the catch, that's just that's icing on the cake, right? Yeah, I mean, kind of just looking at the other side of the ball, too, one of the things that stood out to me in that game was not only that the Colts could run the ball, it seemed like they had a whole whole host of problems stopping the run. I know Jerome Ford had a long run. Kareem Hunt, you know, it's a game. You, you see the Browns, and you're like, oh, they ran it for a ton of yards. And you're like, yeah, of course they did. They have Nick Chubb. Well, they don't have Nick Chubb. This is Kareem Hunt. <laughs> And Jerome Ford, I think it's Jerome Ford. Is it Jacoby Ford? I think it's Jerome Ford. There was a Jacoby Ford, but I think it's Jerome Ford now. Anyway, you know, 
So you look at this defense and you're like, oh, well, Zaire Franklin has a whole mess of tackles. I think it's 88 leads the NFL. And this is a defense that typically you look at. It's like, oh, look, Shaq Leonard, he's going to have 140 tackles. Well, he's still there, but you're racking up all. And, and is that more of a product of the plays aren't necessarily being stopped at the line of scrimmage? Because it kind of feels like that scenario that the Colts are susceptible this year is just runs between the tackles. Legitimately, um, I'm, I'm going to say the Colts actually are pretty decent play-by-play play, stopping the run, right? Okay. They they give up one or two big plays a game. That's the problem, right? Uh, that game that you just talked about with that big 67-yard run, you take that away, the Colts give up an average of like three yards carry, right? Okay. Uh, it, it's not something that's, that's, that's huge, but those big plays matter. Those big plays are tone setters for the game, right? It, it gives your, your offense and your defense uh, something to kind of – build on emotionally and 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 be able to uh go out there and play even better uh when the defense has to go out on the field or vice versa so that's that's a situation i think the defensive line is good and they have been good the biggest problem is grover stewart the combination between DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart is no longer there with Grover Stewart being suspended for six games. And it just started this past week. And with him not being there, that puts a lot of added pressure on your backups uh, guys that aren't normally your starters. And they're out there for a lot more snaps than they're used to. So, you know, you're going to end up having to, you know, the other guys around him are going to have to step up and play even better and at times there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be, you know, missed assignments or a missed tackle here or there. Uh, but for the most part, I like what our defensive line and our linebackers bring, you know, to the team itself. He mentioned, uh, obviously, Zaire uh, Franklin. How, how, how has it been watching his progression from a seventh round draft pick? And this dude's just like a tackling monster. Oh, my goodness. It's, it's nuts. <laughs> this dude brings... His special – okay, so you have to have a different mindset to play special teams, straight up. Sure. You, you, you can't worry about your personal health, right? <laughs> uh, I think Naheem Hines said it a few years back, you know, as a punt returner. You just have to go out there and be like, I don't care if I live or die, you know? <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's basically the mindset that special teamers have to have because of the high-impact uh, plays that they have on, on, every time they go out there on the field. And he's brought that same mindset – to an every down linebacker on defense. He goes out there and he plays 100% full throttle no matter what. And that's just exciting. And I think that lifts the team uh, in general, you know, on defense. You, you, you see a guy go out there and just lay some serious wood on somebody, you know, that's going to make you want to go out there and do the exact, oh, I can't let him outshine me, right? I mean, that's, that's how that works. So, yeah, it, it's been a, a spark, especially since uh, I think uh, Jeff over here earlier talked about uh, Shaquille Leonard. You know, he's not been playing his best right. football as of late. So uh, to have that kind of tone setter uh, at the linebacker position when the guy that normally is the tone setter is not there and not playing to his best is a, a real gift. Yeah, speaking of tone setters, one, one thing, you know, and I haven't got a chance to watch all the Colts games, but I did go back and watch the Browns-Colts game, and it was a long one. I mean, it was a lot going on, but it does feel like Zach Moss is on the offense 
kind of that tone setter of he just just runs hard. I mean, he doesn't go down uh, that first hit. He's always falling forward. So I am curious, you know, what what have been your thought? What has made him so successful this year? Because he kind of feels like I think he was on the Bills and he was just kind of a cast off of of, you know, never really got the opportunity. I think he was in that timeshare with Devin Singletary for a while. But he's dealing with an injury. Um, I want to say, let's see, elbow slash heel. What is your read on that? Does that seem like something that that might keep him out this week? Obviously, he was a DMP on Wednesday. Um, and just what has he been to this offense in general? Now, from the DNP standpoint of did not practice, it could just be, you know, give him a little bit of time, right? Uh, this is your day off. You obviously uh, get the feeling better. We see this a lot in the NFL nowadays with veterans, right? Where you might get a ding or a bruise or something of that nature. And they're like, you know what? Just take a day off, maybe even two days off, you know, and then come back and have your full practice on Friday, right? So I'm hoping that's kind of what's going on with Zach Moss, but you're absolutely right. He is a tone setter on offense. He He's very, the thing that sets him apart is he's not a guy who just attacks a hole. You know, as soon as he gets the ball, he goes, he tries to get the yard. He waits. He knows he's got a good offensive line in front of him. And he waits for that offensive line to finish their blocks and set them because sometimes the hole's not where it's supposed to be on the offensive line, you know, because the defense has shifted or whatnot. So he's very patient. He waits for a hole to open, then he hits it. And the way he hits the hole, it's very powerful. But when he feels the contact coming on, you watch him and he gets slim. He, you know, he'll he'll turn his body in a, or adjust in a specific way to where it's a glancing blow rather than a full-on blow, and he's able to fall forward or break that tackle in that instance. And I think that's been a huge benefit to him. Honestly, I think the Bills gave up on him. I, I don't I don't understand why the Bills let him go. I understand that the Bills are a pass-first team, not a run-first team. They don't run the football with the running backs a whole lot, and I think that was a detriment to uh, a running back of Moss's style who likes to be physical between the tackles, a guy who literally would get better as the game goes on rather than, you know, uh, having someone that's just explosive and you, you, you use him early in the game and hope for, for big plays. Yeah. For, for perspective, if for people listening, he was traded with a pick the Bills traded Zach Moss and a draft pick. It was a sixth round pick for Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines. So like they, they were just trying to cut bait, basically, and saying, okay, we want our pass catching return specialist guy. Like they gave up on him. And now he's a guy who's, if not for Jonathan Taylor returning, might have led the league in rushing this year. So I mean, it just goes to show you, like, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure. Like, if you're in the right situation, and like you mentioned. That offensive line, a lot of people, like, you look at Dak Prescott, the beginning of his career, I don't think Dak Prescott is the quarterback he is today if he didn't come into the league with such an, an entrenched, very, very good offensive line. And, and over time, as you have to pay people, that usually declines slightly. Um, but, yeah, what what is your kind of – is that offensive line, like, legit? I mean, obviously, Quentin Nelson, everyone knows that name. But uh, across the line, what, what has been your read on it this year? When healthy, it's one of the best offensive lines in football. Right, your starters all across this board. Bernard Ryman, the second year left tackle, has made huge monstrous steps, right? Along with the second year uh, like? right guard in Will Fries. You know, he's made big steps this past offseason. And the other three guys are all all pros, 
right? I mean, they're all good players. Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, and Braden Smith out there at right tackle. Those guys, when you have three really, really good veterans and you're able to plug in some young guys that you don't have to pay right now, (laughs) even though you are technically paying high money on that offensive, I think they're paying fifth most in the NFL right now for their offensive line. When that offensive line is healthy and they're all on the field, they are a menace to defensive front sevens. You don't mind paying the fifth most if you have a top five offensive line, right? Right, right. (laughs) Because, I mean, the offensive line, they set the tone for the entire game and run in the run game and the pass game, right? So, I mean, why wouldn't a team be willing to drop money as long as uh, they produce at the same level? Why wouldn't a team be willing to, to drop that kind of money on an offensive line? Uh, looking at this matchup, you know, coming in, uh, Saints also lost two in a row. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be two desperate teams, as I always talk about, fighting for a victory, uh, trying to keep up pace in the division. I think it's kind of amusing. You know, everyone, at least we obviously focused on the NFC South and talked about how wide open it was going into the season. And looking at things now in the AFC South, man, obviously Jacksonville's building built up a, a little lead there, but – uh, you look at a Houston Texans team that's definitely fighting under their first-year head coach. It looks like this Colts squad definitely rallying around their first-year guy. And Tennessee, yeah, maybe selling uh, sellers at the moment look to be dropping off. But, man, Jags, Texans, and Colts, uh, should we expect a pretty tight race through the rest of the season between them? It's going to be a hill to climb for the Colts to get over the Jaguars because the Jaguars have already swept the Colts this season. Uh, Uh, They Uh, were the first rematch of the year for the NFL. And, you know, the Colts basically said, here, here's the football in their second match and said, here, you can just you can have this game, you know, by turning the football over so many times. So uh, when you get swept by your division opponent, it is a it is a tall task to try to climb over that. But it's not undoable. It's it's not unheard of. Right. It, it, It can happen. They haven't fell behind in the overall win-loss column so far that they can't win a bunch of games in a row and possibly just, you know, the heck with the the sweep and, and, the, and the tiebreaker. You know, we just have a better record than you. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, right now, the Colts have beaten the Texans handily in their first meeting. And ever since then, the Texans, as you said, has looked really, yeah. really good ever yeah. since the Colts beat them. So I'm just like, oh, crap you know now now we got three three teams in this in this division and as you said the the titans look like they're just like okay uh white flag we give up we're gonna play for next year (laughs) get ready for will the will levis experience um but you know speaking of speaking of rookies i i am curious obviously this doesn't really have anything to do with this week but it does have to do with the afc south for the long term and anthony richardson you know was a guy that just flew up draft boards I, I would say a lot on just hype and and hope that he could turn into the player that everyone kind of expects him to be, but haven't quite seen yet. So I'm, I am curious over, I know you only saw four or so games, but what is kind of the early evaluation on Anthony Richardson? He's got, obviously, the shoulder surgery. Won't He'll be back next year. Same injury that Derek Carr had, actually, and it was just a more significant version, and that's what you have to have surgery if you have a significant AC sprain to correct that ligament damage. But again, what what is kind of the early evaluation on Anthony? Does he seem like the franchise quarterback or is there still is the jury kind of still out there? So I'm going to take us back 
to when the Colts drafted him. And there was two points that I had. I was like, this guy is a project guy mm-hmm. unless he can show me two things in training camp. Right. And I got the training camp sitting there on the sidelines of training camp watching came up, talked to him, talked to some of the coaches. And the two things that I was worried about was there. And I was like, Oh my, this dude just needs experience. Right. And those two things was his pocket awareness to be able to know when he was going to get pressure and how he reacted to that pressure. And he does a, maybe the one of the best pocket awareness guys coming out of college I've ever seen. Uh, it's just wow. it's absolutely amazing uh, how he can feel a pressure and move, not just, you know, when you think about a, a mobile quarterback, you think, oh, well, he's going to just take off out of the pocket and run down the field. No, he has that move around in the pocket like your traditional pocket passers, like your Tom Brady's and and, and, and Drew Brees's and, and Peyton Manning's. Just move around in the pocket a little bit to adjust, to give himself a little bit of time. He's got that in his pocket. Plus, he's got that mobility to where if the pocket completely breaks down, he can just escape and extend the play so he can look downfield to throw. The other thing I was worried about was his pre-snap rec- defense recognition, Yeah, right? You got to have both pocket awareness and pre-snap defense recognition, be able to recognize what the defense is doing before the snap. You can see where the pressure might be coming from, uh, how they're uh, set up to defend a pass or a run or whatnot so you can check out or whatever you need to do. And his recognition looked pretty good. Now, his accuracy, that was a problem, right? That, that was, it was like one minute he could make an amazing, how in the world did he make that pass? And the next minute is like, how in the world did he miss that pass, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was an issue. But that was the biggest issue that, that, that we had with him. Everything else looked great. I, I, I do feel like with experience and a little bit more work on his passing, um, decision-making and accuracy-wise, I think he could absolutely be a top five quarterback in the NFL. We just, I think he needs more time and more experience. And sadly, that injury, that's that's derailed that for the time being. We go to, uh, into these matchups too. We like to ask our guests um, if there was maybe an X factor that, you know, folks, fans don't really know about, at least Saints fans don't know the name at least that much, uh, considering some of the bigger guys on the Colts, who could be maybe one of those unknowns on offense or defense that could be a, a big factor in this matchup on on Sunday. Any single one of the tight ends that the Colts okay. have on their roster, all of them, and they are, they are all very good tight ends and underused. I'm, right? I'm just asking you to name them. <laughs> okay, getting ready to. Yeah. All right. First, we have Moali Cox, who's the veteran in the tight end room, right? Uh, A guy who's, who's, you know, 6'7", you know, long arms. Then we have Kylan Granson, third-year tight end. He's right now uh, coming off, I believe, a concussion. I don't know if he's going to make it in this game or not, but he is that speed tight end, that that receiving-style tight end. Uh, And then we have Drew Ogletree, who is another very similar to a Moali Cox, who's in his second year last year was out the entire year uh, due to an uh, injury in training camp had the injury right after I interviewed him too. Oh, sad. So, uh, 
I got yeah. blamed for that. You believe that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and then we got our rookie Will Mallory, who was another receiving tight style yeah. tight end. They're all Maryland, very yeah, Miami, effective. Miami, right? Yeah, very effective guys who um, can be matchup nightmares for an opposing team's defense. Whether you know you put a tight end or a safety over them, it's very difficult to match up against these guys. Gotcha. We've been chatting with Lawrence Owen, host of the Believe in Colts podcast. He also has a show on YouTube called Colts Law. We're getting ready for Saints. Colts. Saints fans will be hoping that the Gardner Minshew show ends right in time as it has the last two times they've faced them. But thanks so much, Lawrence. Appreciate everything. Very insightful. Hey, thanks for thanks for having me on. Uh, feel free to reach out anytime. Sounds good, man. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, thanks to Lawrence Owen for breaking that down. One thing he did mention before he left that we forgot to ask about, this is a Colts team that has been very susceptible to big plays. Their defensive back group is not what you might consider to be dominating, to say the least. So, you know, what I told him is no one wants to hear me talk about how Derek Carr can take advantage of a defense, and so I'm not going to tell you about how Derek Carr can take advantage of a defense because until he does it, I'll just have to – Believe it, it's impossible. Anyway, actually, a little side story here in my little in my my big uh, fantasy football big money league. Brock Purdy, I, I have him hurt. I had to make a drastic option. So guess who's on the Gardner. waiver wire? We I'm Derek. going with Derek Carr this week, baby. I mean, statistically speaking, right, it's not the it's worst terrible. play in the world, right? Right. It's kind of like last year, Andy Dalton. I started him on that Thursday night matchup against the Cardinals. He threw two pick sixes, but he ended up having a pretty huge game. Like you can have big games and still have not play well. Like that's the but, thing. Did Juwan have two touchdowns that game? Uh, I think so. I think he did. Yeah. I'm not positive. Yeah, I think I he had three touchdowns across. Like he had a, a late one against the Ravens that was kind of like a BS, uh, like doesn't matter touchdown. Yeah. And I yeah. think he had, he had two touchdowns against the Cardinals. I thought so. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, who we should get drawn back. So yeah, I mean, from a from a from the perspective of yeah, three hundred yard passing is going to be a decent fantasy day, right? I think the, hopefully the a couple touchdowns in there, especially <laughs> going against the Colts, right? And like 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 Lauren said, it's just like there are big plays to be had. So I I don't think it's a terrible play. I mean, in our two QB league, I'm starting like Zach Wilson and I, you know you know it's funny. So the, this kind of t- so Deshaun Watson didn't play in that game. We right, He played right. for the first quarter plus and threw five passes and then left. It was P.J. Walker for a majority of that game. So I you you saw what Lamar Jackson did to the to the Lions, right? So my, oh, yeah. I, have a leader, I have my two quarterbacks are Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. So I had like the extremes of the quarterback experience. One got me like 35, one got me negative one. So <laughs> they combined to be one average quarterback and I lost by like three points. Oh, uh... If I had Derek Carr, I would have won. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks, Deshaun. Anyway, this is not what we're here to talk about. This is Inside Black and Gold. We will be back. I want to talk about, you know, what exactly happened in that game against the Jaguars and what, what I'm concerned about as you go to face the Colts because there are some similarities in how they're. They, I think they're going to try to attack you. So let's break that down, and then we're going to go for, and then we're going to dive into X Factors as we do every week. Who can swing the result on offense? Who can swing the result on defense? And why we're going to be wrong about whatever we say. So anyway, keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. One more segment to go on Inside Black and Gold. We're going to break down some some of the issues I've seen on defense uh, over the last few weeks, particularly in this season, especially in the games the Saints have struggled in. And, you know, how, how, how do we fix that going forward now? Uh, and then we're going to break down our X factors on offense and defense. But, Steve, this is something that you brought up, and I, I don't think we got a chance to go over it on the podcast yet in depth. But I did go and I, I hand-timed every single Trevor Lawrence drop back in that game. Right, right. And the, early, the indication I had watching it live ended up being accurate, which is he was just getting that ball out of his hands so fast. And that's frustrating for a defense in general, uh, because especially a defensive line, because you can't really do anything. You know, Tom Brady was like that. We can go back to that week two game uh, with Tom Brady in the Superdome. And it's like, well, you didn't get any sacks in that game. And I was like, yeah, he was getting the ball out in two seconds. Right. And it, as, if you're if you're playing from ahead, you can do that. And that's the bigger issue is you allowed them to get out to a lead so that they didn't have to take any risks with their injured quarterback. Now, if you're up 14 to seven in the second half or you're up by even if you're tied and they feel like they have to make something happen. That's when the, you know, Trevor Lawrence's longest drop back of the day his only drop back of over three seconds. That was not a play action or a fake or a throwback pass. It was a deep shot down the right sideline when the game was tied. And it's not a coincidence that when the game is tied and the, and the Jags feel like they need to make something happen, suddenly he's standing there giving you a chance to come after him. The rest of the game was one read and out, one read and out. And, you know, and, and Bobby keeps saying no pressures the entire game. And I hear him say that. And I'm just like, I get why you're saying that because the statistics say that. But if you watch these games, why do you think he scrambled? He had four scrambles in the game. They t- totaled 59 yards. Right. And he was the second leading rusher in that game. And those were the pressures. Right. You could say they had four pressures because they forced him out of the pocket. The issue is he didn't contain him. You just let him go. And that's been the biggest problem, in my opinion, in terms of you do, you weren't able to get Jordan Love on the ground. You weren't able to get Baker Mayfield on the ground. You weren't able to get, as I hit, I hit the screen, you weren't able He's to get right. out on the ground really until that second half when you were able to make some things happen. And that's been a big issue. And I, I don't know how you adjust. I don't, yeah. I think this game, DeMario's knee injury might have been a factor in terms of, I don't know if he was as, as, as quick to things as he normally would be. But like that's been a huge issue. And Gardner Minshew is not going to stand in the pocket either. Gardner is going to want to move around. Not a great athlete, but neither is Baker Mayfield. I would actually consider Gardner and Baker to be very similar in terms of quarterback style. Obviously, Baker has a much better, like much more significant pedigree in terms of his number one overall pick, right? But, you know, they're going to do similar things in the sense of extending plays. And he's not going to just run to run, but he is going to run when you give him a lane. Uh, one of his touchdown runs, it was from like 18 yards out and he just juked a guy. And so to me, that's the issue. It's not necessarily the pressure. It is making sure that when you do pressure a guy, you don't give him a lane. You don't give him a, a release valve. 
And because you're because with a four three defense that plays a lot of man on the outside, you don't have the benefit of three guys standing there looking back in at the quarterback because you're sitting in zone because they're turning around and running up field. So it has to be that front seven that contains. And if the Saints can't do that against Gardner Minshew, it's going to be a long day. They've been able to do it in the past. So I have some confidence that they'll be able to do it again. But, you know, Shane Steichen was also there for that game last year against the Eagles. He has an idea to try to play Gardner Minshew and he'll be able to adjust. So to me, that's a huge part of this game is can you figure out a way to, to, to contain quarterbacks that want to run? Because those 59 yards were massive in that game from Trevor Lawrence. You know, thinking back to last year, the Minshew with the Eagles, I was really impressed how the uh, the Saints front was able to get after that Saint, uh, the Eagles offensive line that obviously gets so much praise. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, right. And with the same players you're looking at today. Uh, right. with the, I mean, I guess not. With the same edges you're looking at today in terms of Cam Jordan and Carl Grandison were big in that game. Interestingly, you know, Alante Taylor didn't really play in that game. He was basically a special teams player. So, I mean, that is something that you can throw at them as a wrinkle in terms of they didn't deal with that last year. Shane Steichen's team didn't deal with that. And because I think you had Roby in the slot for that game and you had Adebo and, and Lattimore on the outside. Now, obviously, Roby's gone. And so Alante's in the slot. So, yeah. But, and th- I mean, that's going to be a big part of it. What's been your take with Cam Jordan this year, man? I know it's a guy... You know, we expect big things from obviously a vocal leader, but just really hasn't been able to apply that pressure. Uh, it, you know, hasn't really come up. He had that one gift of a fumble recovery, but other than that, what does he have? A, a one sack on the season? Well, he has one sack, but they were two split sacks. Okay, so it's you know, it's okay. like if he was the only one that got there, it would be two. Um, I got you right. He should have had one against Baker. You know, the, the issue I think has been, you know, and, and I think, you know, saying someone lost a step is usually a negative thing, but I think it's like when you're talking about a 33-year-old guy, 34-year-old guy, you know they lost a step from their prime. It's impossible not to. The question is, how significant is that? And is it too much that you're unable to make up for it with the knowledge in your brain, right? Like DeMario, for example, he's not the same player he was at 26, but he is a better player now in terms of how he understands the game and the speed at which he can play at. I'd say the same about Cam. The problem is I think Cam forgets that. And he doesn't necessarily hedge the way he needs to at this point in his career to be able to make some plays thinking he can still chase them down when you're not 26-year-old Cam Jordan. But I don't think he's been terrible. He's never been a huge sack number guy. You know, He's always been a guy that occasionally you'll end up seeing a four-sack day and then... He's going to end up with 12 on the season or 10 on the season. Like that's always been his MO and people have always complained that he's not productive enough because he's a run player first. And that's just not a sexy thing to be a run player in the NFL, but he is. And he plays the run. Well, you would like to see more pressure from him and you would like to see particularly more smart pressure in terms of not allowing plays to get behind you and not allowing cutback lanes where you just can't get there. So I don't know. I, I don't I don't think we've necessarily seen anything, seen a major drop off from Cam. Right. That's what I've been worried about kind of thing, just because obviously the numbers aren't there. Yeah. I, I mean, but he had a slow start in 2021. Right. And then he, you know, he picked up really, you know, it was funny. He went out with COVID and then he came back and he had like five sacks in three games. Right. So he's always been a he's always been a guy that, you know, from a pass rush perspective, it's, you know, he'll get he'll rack them up in a hurry and then everyone will stop talking about it. 
But, you know, this has not been unusual for him to go stretches without sacks. The real question to me is pressures. And so let's look up and see what are his pressure totals this year compared to past seasons. I can do that pretty quickly here. So Yeah, well, I would bring it up too just because, you know, for me, you obviously have somebody opposite him finally in Carl Granderson that seems to be that, you know, that good running mate at creating that pressure on the edge. And it just Cam hasn't been getting home this season yet. So let's see. On the season, he has 23 hurries, two sacks, which again, it's like technically one sack, but there were two half sacks, but they were separate. So it's not like he only has gotten to the quarterback once. So it's not a huge difference, but it is somewhat of a difference. When you consider you're talking about the difference between four and 12 is, you know, you can make that up in two games if you have a good enough game. So let's see. In 2021, he had 27 total hurries. In 2022, he had 24 total hurries. In 2023, he has 23 through seven games. Really? Yes. He had 41 in 2020. He had 59 in 2019, 45 in 2018, 47 in 2017, 54 in 2016, 50 in 2050. And so realistically, if you're looking at that number, you're saying he's been pressuring quarterback at a higher rate. And that probably is due to Carl Granderson being on the opposite side and him not getting as much attention. The, The problem is you have not turned those into sacks or QB hits. And so, you know, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about is you have to be a little smarter about how you're pressuring the quarterback because, you know, like there was a play against the Bucks, the touchdown play where, you know, Baker just extended and then dropped it off to Kate Otten. Cam Jordan was unblocked. He was right in Baker's grill and Baker made a miss. And I think that's the type of play that earlier in Cam's career, he probably makes. And right now, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's right, if he's there, but either way, you're looking at a guy who, you know, pro football focus has him graded at a 79.7. You can take from that, whatever you want it, it, based on their grades. You, yeah. you haven't seen a huge drop off. So I don't know. It's easy to just look at sack numbers and right. say, where is he? But I think it's a little more complicated than that. And like we talked about in week seven, it obviously is more complicated than that because of how quickly Trevor Lawrence was getting the ball out. But no, I would I guarantee you, if you ask Cam, he would tell you he hasn't been good enough. That's great to know about the pressures this year. There was no way I would have guessed that they were that high, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the technical difference between a pressure and a hurry, but either way, you're just looking at that same number. Right, um, right. His career high is 59. And, you know, te- technically, you're not that far off that pace. Maybe they've been more generous with what a hurry is or a pressure this year than normal. I don't know. I've always wondered about that. Like, because it is kind of vague, right? Like, what do you consider? What, when do you make that determination of he's affecting the quarterback versus he's just there? You know, like he's not impacting the play versus he is. Uh, anyway, but yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on from there and let's keep it quick because we've been going on for a while. And I do need to get out to the facility at some point today. And let's get into X factors. And so, well, let's start on offense because we've been talking a lot about defense. Who who would you say your your offensive X factor is in this game? Man, I think I said Derek Carr last game, and I got to go with my man again this matchup just because, uh, you know, talking well, to – What specifically about Derek Carr? Uh, just needs to get on I'm, – I'm not same page with his receivers. I want to see um, that communication working better, the offense being more fluid. Uh, hopefully yep. that, that hurry-up offense that we saw – run can get 
you know, brought over into this matchup. We've talked about it a lot. We know it can't get run on a constant basis, obviously. But to get some continuity and to get some kind of momentum going uh, is going to be key for this offense. And we heard from uh, Lawrence, uh, the, the Colts guest, about you know how how easily this team could take advantage of a Colts secondary. And when you got elite talents like a Chris Olave, um, I'm I'm hoping he has a huge bounce back game. Obviously, in in this too, considering what's happened with him on the field, off the field, kind of BS. But just all around, let's see the passing game uh, have a big outing, and it's not just because I picked up Derek Carr in fantasy football this week. Homer. Uh, Yeah, right, exactly. Lawrence of Arabianapolis. Um, Oh, nice. Very well done. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, You know, so I I, I, – to me, you know, in watching that condensed game, and that's – typically that's the best way I can just get a quick early read on the team they're about to face is I watched the condensed game from a week earlier and you know there's really no point in going back too far for the Colts as you look at them uh, and on offense on defense one of the things that stands out to me is they're susceptible to long plays in the run game and, and in a lot of instances they're coming from inside the tackles and so I think there's a few things that are going to happen in this game you're hoping to get Juwan Johnson back and if you do he'll probably be on a pitch count but I think that's going to directly impact pass catcher Taysom Hill. And I think you're going to limit what you're asking him to do there. And hopefully that means you can get him some more action as a runner because the way that they get beat in the, in the run game, it's not anything crazy. It's just, they get blocked and they hang on blocks and they allow you to get ahead of steam and get out there. And so I think that there's a chance that this ends up looking something like the Saints Seahawks game in week five of last year. And Obviously, Taysom, I'm not saying Taysom is going to have four touchdowns, but I do think that there, Taysom Hill has the ability to make an impact on this game similarly to how he made an impact on that game because I don't think they're going to be able to come up and make those tackles. There's always going to be situations where you look at it and you're like, Taysom Hill and that power run scheme matches up really well against this team specifically, this defense, a team that, yes, they do fly around the field, but they don't have a ton of beef inside. They're not going to be that kind of, heavy front seven that's going to be able to stack up like the 49ers and shut you down. So the Bucs are a better example, probably in terms of a team they've played this year. Uh, so I think to me, that's the, I think if you can get, you know, 60, 80 rushing yards, maybe a touchdown or two out of Taysom Hill in that kind of way, um, the way you really haven't seen yet this year, I think that could be a huge factor. That's my X factor on offense. No, Taysom time, uh, you know, when he gets into a groove, you, you can see sometimes they feed the hot hand and, man, he he, he has delivered, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and there's also been some weird, you know, I, I will say, and this is something I've been talking about to myself, uh, <laughs> is, you know, there's a difference between reporting and and gossip. Um, if, you, if you're reporting something and you, you get told something and you look into it and you report it out and you share it that's reporting if you if you're getting told by someone that someone else said something about someone this and that's like high school now and that's the depth that's gossip you know and i get told things that i don't share but you know when i stand in front of someone and ask someone a very specific question and he tells me the answer and i tell that back to you call it what you want i don't think Derek carr minds giving up snap to taysom hill is is what I'm getting at there. Um, anyway, moving on. Let's go to the defense. Steve, who is your defensive X factor? 
Huh, you know, it, it's it's been easy, I think, over the last couple of weeks. It's always been focused on the D-line, D-line, D-line. I do think, obviously, it's going to be big against a running duo like the Colts have in this matchup. But I'm, I'm going to look at Pete Werner in, going into this game. Uh, just a guy I really haven't heard much of this season, and I want him to, you know, flex his muscles a bit and make an impact. Uh, hopefully, be able to force a fumble, something like that in this matchup. Tackle for you know, big tackle for loss. I just, I don't know. I've been expecting more from from Warner, and it just hasn't been delivering for me. Yeah, no, I I tend to agree with you there. I don't think he's been bad. Right. Um, but you know, he was he was he the first five or six games before the ankle injury last year, he was everywhere. He was a machine. He was on pace for like 120 solo tackles. And you just haven't seen it at that level. You know, and and I don't know, maybe maybe you're overreacting and and it's just uh, I don't know. The defense has played pretty well. But I yeah, I haven't seen him make that that all-around impact this year that that you saw last year. And so I agree with that. Although he does have his first ever sack, first interception, so he has been making an impact. So who knows? But I, yeah, I agree with you. There. It's just really tough. Like I said, I, I don't know how many weeks I can go through picking defensive linemen. No, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to pick defensive linemen either. I'm going to pick uh, the interferers. Um, and that is the Saints have 10 pass interference penalties through seven games. The next wow. closest team in the NFL has six. So you have been called for pass interference at nearly double the rate of the second highest penalized team for how, that specific penalty. How many does a Debo have? That's a good question. I know, I know <laughs> okay, he has, sorry, he has a handful of them. But Marshawn has a few too. Uh, I remember vividly that one against Mike Evans where he just got beat and reached out and grabbed Mike. I think that was a good right. pass interference penalty because, you know, obviously it's not good that you got beat, but he would have easily scored a touchdown, so you at least prevented that. Uh, I think he also had one against Nico Collins. Um in week six. So like he's had them too, right? That's at least 20% of your pass interference penalties on those two, you know, Paulson and Debo, I think Paulson. So he had a couple of the pass interference penalties, but I also think they have seven defensive holding penalties and he's been a culprit on multiple of those. So whether it's pass interference or defensive holding, he's been an issue on that. And a lot Taylor has a couple himself too. So, you know, I think that those penalties, pass interference penalties, they know they really don't show up in the stat sheet. They show up on the penalties line, which obviously is in the stat sheet. But like when you're talking about, you're looking at, oh, so-and-so only threw for 240 yards. Well, if he had 60 yards gifted to him on pass interference penalties, those, those count, whether they go for the quarterback or the receiver or not. I've always felt like you should just give the receiver the yards on a pass interference penalty. But because like, why is he getting penalized? In in statistically, when the yardage still exists, anyway. But like to me, that's that's been a huge a huge factor in a lot of these games, and I think it will continue to be a factor in this game. And I I just need to see, especially Paulson. You're not wrong to to single out Paulson because I think what happens is he feels like he gets beat, and his reaction is to grab and to pull and to yank yank yeah. jerseys, and you don't always have to do that, right? There was a play against the Jags; he got called for defensive holding, and it was a defensive hold. But all he really had to do was put his hands up and say, okay, if you make this catch, good on you. And the ball ended up going 10 yards over his head. Uh, and like, that's, I, you know, I, I get it. You're playing de- aggressive defense and you're, you, you get a little handsy and you want to be in their hip pocket and you're going to get called for a few extra penalties with that. And that's, you, you kind of just have to accept it. It's how you play. Being fl- penalized for pass interference at 
twice the rate of the second highest team in the NFL. That ain't it. So hopefully they can start to clean that up. And because uh, I think that the defensive secondary has been very good, generally speaking. You just haven't, you know, there's been those critical moments like the Packers game, for example. I think they, they pretty much went the entire length of the field on two pass interference penalties. So I think that's where I need I need to see this team get better. And that's my X factor. Yeah, and, you know, sticking with uh, a little bit with the secondary, it'd be nice to see Lattimore. Another pick six off of Minshew wouldn't hurt. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Anyway, that's all. That's all I got. You got anything else? No, man. I'm hoping, you know, come come around for our post-game, you know, podcast and that we're talking about a win because thinking about losing three in a row, coming back to, you know, home to play the Bears isn't very – exciting to think about <laughs> yeah i think we're on the the i think we're 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 getting close to a cliff here agreed i don't think you've fallen over the cliff yet no but you can see it yeah it's there it's you there and, it. and you know you can either start to to make that turn you got a bye week coming up and i think that's the cliff is the bye week you gotta you gotta start to make that turn now because at a certain point you're going way too fast <laughs> and you can hit the brakes. You're flying over. And I think this next two weeks is, is where you got to make that turn. And if you don't, this could get real ugly. And, and I personally, I don't enjoy covering misery. I don't enjoy that. That's not why I got into sports journalism to, to have to explain to fans why everything sucks all the time, but that's been what it is for the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's it's about time that this team and this franchise figured something out and did something. The last positive thing I can recall was like 38 to 3 over the Packers, and everyone was like, oh my God, the post Drew Brees here is gonna go great. It hasn't. I uh, to me, my flashbacks are all the way still preseason, that first drive, and I'm like, man, this Derek Carr offense is gonna be amazing. See, I had a feeling everyone was going to overreact to that the same way they overreacted to when Jameis went down the field against the Chargers. And everyone's like, we got this. You know, don't overreact to preseason, guys. It's uh that's just yeah. more just another another case of that. And it's just, yeah. I mean, it's better than them looking bad in the preseason, but clearly there's Doesn't not matter. a lot of lines to be drawn from how successful that drive is and how successful his offense is going to look. But. Yeah, Dettilia, I think, said it the best. Uh, he always says, you know, preseason's a mirage. Yeah, until <laughs> it isn't, and then everyone's right. <laughs> sure. All right, let's get to wrap it up for us here on Inside Black and Gold. We'll be back on Monday. This is our kind of road trip schedule. We'll be back on Monday. We'll probably do it live if we if we have the wherewithal to get that done. Uh, don't quote me on that, but we'll have that post game pod. Hopefully it's a post win pod. Check us out at saints underscore pod on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noak. He's at Steve Geller, WWL. The nice thing is when I don't have to say a second name, I can just say the Twitter handle and that's the name that saves a whole lot of time, but check out the latest news notes and analysis over on WWL.com. You can get Steve on the pregame show and then the on the pregame show to the pregame show and then the pregame show and then also the postgame show uh, on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and on the Odyssey app. You can catch me on the broadcast for those like eight some odd minutes that I talk throughout the course of a game. Uh, you know, that's the same stuff. And uh, yeah, I appreciate everybody for listening. Let us know what you think. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a rating. Give us a review. 
tell us if you'd like to see anything if you'd like to hear anything if you'd like to talk more about guy liner we can do that um, otherwise steve what you got hit him with it uh no enjoy indy i'm kind of jealous i've had i never took a road trip there uh don't know much about the scene in indianapolis but i have heard it's it's pretty much like a walking city where you can kind of easily get around like new orleans we'll see let's do it all right y'all who that go saints let's do it folks please y'all peace